For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Everybody, I got a incredible guest on the line here, um, and as um, I'm sure, hopefully everyone saw, I'm now um, brought to you by Axis Sledge Supplements. Use code Matovic10 at checkout. But um, other than that, I got Angela McCardle on the line. Um, how are you doing, Angela? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a really long time. Um, there's quite a few things that I wanted to hit on with you, but um, kind of let's get a, a brief introduction of where you are in the liberty movement and how you got there and why you're still here. <laughs> yeah, so so I've been a, a libertarian in some capacity my entire adult life. I became a libertarian like loosely as a teenager with a with a not a very with a very low resolution understanding of what it meant and got a little bit more red pilled on it after reading G. Edward Griffin's book The Creature from Jekyll Island. And then also hearing about Ron Paul and his presidential campaigns. So, you know, I got, and then after all of that, I got involved in the local, like county level libertarian party in LA County, ran for Congress, and I've been, you know, doing, doing something with them ever since. Good. Yeah. Well, um, you've quickly become a star in the uh, whole liberty movement. And I'm sure I tweeted out to you and Larry Sharp before you two are probably the most ardent warriors in your own states that uh, most people probably would have gave up and said, fuck it by now. But, uh, yeah. you know, you guys are doing awesome things out there. And um, it, it's great to see you and Larry both on the forefront of the movement and um, being the loudest voices. Um, so what um what do you got going on over there in California? You were putting together initiatives to end the vaccine mandates. Yes. So in the city of LA, city, not county, we have a city level initiative to end the vaccine mandate. Mm -hmm. And what that means is it's basically, it's a, it's a petition that we circulate. You've got to sign it and turn it in. And we've got to collect a whole lot of them within 120 days, but it is doable and we are off to a great start. Mm -hmm. um, how, like what's a lot of signatures? Because I know it, it seems like they really stack the cards against libertarians and people trying yeah. to do any kind of activism. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think Larry said he had to get like somewhere in the five digits of signatures. So I imagine probably out there, yeah. probably something similar. Yeah, we have to get 65,000 signatures to get it on the ballot. So it, it breaks down to around roughly 3,000 signatures a week. But, but hear me out. Mm -hmm. 
There's 4 million people in the city of LA, 4 million people. That's a lot of people. So the average person kind of thinks of California as this leftist hellhole. Um, yeah. You, is it that way? Well, not all of it by, by no means. I mean, the, the places that are like leftist hellholes are the city of LA and San Francisco mm-hmm. and some of the surrounding adjacent areas, you know, like the Bay Area, not all of it. I think Contra Costa is a little, a little more sane and Sacramento is pretty 50-50. They're more, they're more centrist Democrat than progressive which is not nearly as scary when it comes to medical mandates and things like things of that nature. But most of California is red and it's somewhat rural, um, apolitical maybe. People wear cowboy hats like this is not, it's not what you think of when you think California, when you think the whole state is like this, it's, it's really not. It's just the major metropolitan areas that are controlling and ruining everyone else's life. Yeah, well, it, it, I think people kind of feel the same way about Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania is overwhelmingly blue. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's more to Pennsylvania than just Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, right. you go half an hour north of Pittsburgh and then, you know, you're seeing farms and cows, but then you're in Pittsburgh and there's none of that to be seen. So um, California is obviously a whole ton bigger. So there's probably a lot more variance within. And what kind of blue is Pennsylvania? Is it primarily union, working class? you know, that kind of blue, or is it high rise city, progressive, you know, mandate, micromanage every aspect of your life blue? I think those are two very different types of Democrats. Right. Well, you know what? It's funny. I never hear anybody talk about that. Sorry, my dog's got a squeaky toy. I'm going to try and get it off him if he keeps fucking with it. But um, uh, I don't think a lot of people break it down that far. Um, I feel like a lot of the Democrats around here probably are a little bit more the union guys. My stepdad's actually a union guy, but he's, you know, hard Republican, which is fine. You know, he's a little bit more on the, you know, Trump side, but, you know, whatever. He's still yeah. somewhat adjacent to us in some ways. But, um, yeah, there's probably a lot more union sector kind of guys around where I live because, I mean, I walk out the door and there's Trump signs and, you know, it's a real small mm-hmm. town. It's a factory town, right? There's literally a steel mill. I can look outside from my house right. and see a steel mill. So these guys are probably, you know, hesitantly voting for Biden or they feel disaffected by the uh, Democrat Party and they voted Trump because they felt, you know, screwed over by the blue over the last like 20 years. Right. Right. Very different types of people. And the uh, I think they're called blue dog Democrats, the more old fashioned type of Democrat. Those people aren't necessarily into all of the medical mandates and meticulous control of everyone's life. They believe in social safety nets. They you know, have bad, uh, bad opinions about Republican politics, but they don't want to go out and, and dox and ruin the life of every Republican. I think I think they're very different styles of people. And I've found that in LA, people who are more centrist Democrat are not as inclined to support medical mandates. They do believe more in bodily autonomy. You know, they're people who are pro-choice, but they're more consistently pro-choice. And and so I found that they're a lot easier to work with. Right. So me as a uh, mechanic, right, I've grown up around boomer cons. I mean, I've worked with them eight to 10 hours a day for the last 10 years almost. And when you talk to these people, and I hate saying it like that because it sounds like they're just one homogenous group and they're really not. Um, Most people tend to think of Democrats as all these crazy woke progressives, 
But, you know, as we've kind of been saying, I think there's a lot more variation there than people are willing to give. And especially on this new hoppy and right, it, it, I kind of get annoyed with them, but I, you know, empathize a lot with them. It, it eventually becomes just this circle jerk, for lack of a better word, of yeah. everything that's right wing is good and everything that's left wing is bad. And they kind of lump all people who lean even remotely left as left wing and awful and, you know, wants to bring about yeah. the end of society. And then the right wing is the only thing that's good and they're going to bring about the redemption and all the boomer cons are going to be screaming for freedom. And I, I don't think it's just all black or white. I feel like there's a lot more nuance there. Definitely. There's definitely more nuance. I, I mean, and even here in LA, I've got people who are very progressive, at least economically, very economic progressives. They support our initiative to overturn mandates because they're much more like uh, crunchy granola types. They are very health conscious. They care about what goes into their bodies. I've got the support of the former group of Millions Against Monsanto. They're, they're backing the initiative. There's, you know, and most of them are registered Democrats and they vote blue. They're, they're certainly having a rude awakening right now. And some of them have, have told me, you know, literally crying that they'll never vote Democrat again. They're single issue voters now. They're going to vote libertarian because we're the only group that has stood up for their medical freedoms and, you know, their human dignity. So, yeah, politics are politics are a little bit more complicated than just a simple left versus right, red versus blue. And I hope that people are starting to understand this now when they see the people who are speaking out against these things, or even people who are just sort of quietly saying they don't agree. Right. And I think that's more than just a silent majority at this point. It definitely seems yeah. like there's more and more people sick of what's going on. Um, it's interesting you brought up the millions against Monsanto, because this kind of gets into another subject I want to talk to you specifically about that I've never really heard you talk about. I've seen you tweet about it a few times. But uh, Monsanto is one of the big four meatpacking companies. You have Bayer, Monsanto. Um, I can't remember the other two. I always forget some of them. But um they have uh, essentially a government monopoly on packaging um, meat. So basically, instead of being able to go straight to, the, or straight to your farmer and say, hey, I want a New York strip on a ribeye or, you know, backstrap, whatever, you have to order a whole cow from a private farmer. Yeah. But though they have to send it to Bayer or Monsanto if you want to get just that regular New York strip. So um, kind of tailing on that, you had health issues. I remember, I think you said you had Crohn's disease. And correct me if I'm wrong here. But um, you were able to cure that through diet. So, um, you know, feel free to kind of lay out your story with your health if, um, you know, go to as much detail as you feel necessary. Yeah. So on that legislation thing, uh, I think it's really important to support farm to table legislation and initiatives. So that's something that you can really do to reclaim your health. And, and if you are skeptical or opposed to a lot of the large corporations that control our food supply, this is one of the best ways to fight back. And I certainly wouldn't blame you if you were, didn't trust them. There's been a lot of shenanigans with those guys. Um, so I did have really bad Crohn's disease. Uh, it was debilitating, believe it or not, but a little bit of context on that. So I, and some of this is, is very interesting, some of the, the correlations here. So I ran for Congress in the spring of 2017, which was a lot of fun. And in the summer, and, and that's when I got really involved in the Libertarian Party. And in the summer of 2017, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and uh, it looked like it was gonna be Crohn's disease. 
And within five, maybe six months, I had a diagnosis of Crohn's, like a dual diagnosis of Crohn's colitis. And one of the less common versions that has all kinds of weird side effects. So um, be mindful of your activism. It can impact your health, can definitely impact your health. Uh, I had not had this my whole life by any means. And I had always eaten, I think, pretty healthy. Except, um, I think in the year leading up to my diagnosis, you know, I had a roommate that was uh, very unhealthy and I did a lot of tiptoeing around that roommate and also a lot of changing my diet and the way that I cooked and ate in order to make that very miserable roommate more comfortable because I thought, well, that would make my life more comfortable. But I think that that was a bad move. Um, so I got really sick and I had been hospitalized, you know, multiple times, maybe twice a year on average, twice a year I was hospitalized for Crohn's disease for the next like three and a half years. Um, and my diet, man, it was rough. So I started eliminating everything, right? So the first, one of the first things I cut out was corn. Corn is, is difficult on your insides if you've got sensitive insides. And then I had to cut out nuts. So I started cutting things out with rough texture, cutting things out and cutting things out and cutting things out. And I got down to the point where really all I could eat was sweet potatoes, just the orange ones, beyond burgers. That's the only brand. So no, no regular tofu, no, um, what's the other one? No impossible burgers, just beyond burgers, sauerkraut and like some sauces <laughs> and dates, uh, rice flour. That was about it. It was like less than 10 things I could eat. And it seemed to help. And then I got a lot better. I tried all kinds of interesting things. like. Um, if you Googled Crohn's disease alternative treatment, the first 20 pages of your Google results, I'd tried it. And the first like maybe four or five pages of a DuckDuckGo search, I'd tried all those too. So like, you know, people are like, have you tried apple cider vinegar? Have you tried water fasting? Have you tried the, mo the, the really out there ones? Yeah, I've tried it. Did you try hugging a purple crystal? Yes. How about dinging a triangle over your head? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did. I dinged the triangle. I did all of the weird things. I did the energy healing. I did the drugs. I did the hardcore pharmaceutical drugs that are scary and awful. And I don't recommend did those, uh, vitamins, vitamin IV therapy, vitamin shots, lights, weird lights, sauna. I've, I've done the thing, man. I've, I've, I've done the thing. Um, and, uh, CBD, THC, Rick Simpson oil, I would get through like Rick Simpson oil was really helpful. And that, that put me into remission for like three months. So that was, you know, it was better than nothing, but none of these things, man, none of them stuck out for me. None of them stuck it out for, for long. All the while I continued to do hardcore, like a tremendous amount of libertarian activism the whole time. So I will say that I was extremely ill but I was also extremely productive, even from a hospital bed. I was able to attend meetings and do Zoom calls and do all kinds of work. So never say never and be really careful about telling people, 
you can't do this job because you're sick. Because sometimes like for some of us, it's kind of what keeps us hanging on, right? Like you're sick and everything sucks in life. But if you've got something that you're really passionate about and you care about, like it gives you purpose and a reason to get out of bed every day and drudge through it and, and not be consumed by your illness. Wow. Yeah. Well, to get a little personal here, I'm not sure if I touched on this even in the show at all, but um, my mom had breast cancer three times and it started around the time when I was probably 10 or 10 to like 15 years old. And um, I mean, she was relentless about how she worked. She was working a hundred hours a week and she, you know, had problems with other things that I don't want to touch on here out of respect for her, but, um, she's a freaking warrior, man. But you know, her and my dad divorced when I was about five years old and, you know, obviously I still have a good relationship with both of them, but, um, I, I think what you touched on there is absolutely correct is that you need some kind of purpose. And for my mom, that was, you know, take care of my older brother and I, and make sure that we had a roof over our head and that we were, you know, safe and good to go to school and everything like that. But I, I think that's something that some libertarians in particular really don't realize is that you really need a strong purpose. If your only purpose is politics, then, you know, maybe you'll wither on the vine because there's many, many greater things out there. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot more to life than just arguing on Twitter or just playing in the band, just doing a podcast, just doing one thing. And I think a lot of people could take a note from you, from my mom and just thinking, you know, there's just so much more to life and you need something to carry. You need that, you know, cross to die on essentially. So, so for me, it, it really was politics. Like that really, that's what I poured myself into. Um, I wouldn't say that it consumed me though. It really, really like motivated me. So I was, I loved doing it and I still love everything I do. Like I absolutely yeah. love it. And that carried me through it. And another thing that was really important to me was uh, almost two years ago to the day, I got into a much better relationship mm-hmm. and I would caution people, don't go get into a codependent relationship where you need someone and you can't be a whole person without them, but you should get into, right. You should get into a supportive, healthy relationship Mm -hmm. with an adult who is emotionally mature and stable, you know, and, you know, hopefully financially secure that that's also important, you know, we all got our challenges, but it's a good, it's a plus because it relieves a lot of stress, but just someone who's sane and, and emotionally available. And that, I, you know, I didn't realize what an impact that would have on me, but it had a very good impact. You know, I, I, I oh, sorry, I, th- I think once I had some personal issues kind of squared away, that took away a lot of stress that I was not even conscious that I had. And that was, that really set the framework for me to be able to heal. Because if I had changed my diet aggressively at that time, and I still had all of these other kind of chaotic elements in my life, I wouldn't have been in as good a place. So I think that that was really a good foundation for me. Right. And when I hear you speak and tell your story or do any kind of podcast, I can tell that you're coming from a place that you're fulfilled and that you got your, your home base is all hammered out. And I think I've said so many times before, but I think we need more people like that who kind of have all the bases touched and then you can go be an activist and, you know, everyone has their kind of thing but you should absolutely be, you know, whole. And if you're fighting at home every day with your significant other, then maybe you should kind of take a break from activism for a little bit until you get that figured out. And I really like that you touched on finding somebody that's not codependent because 
I've been talking to a couple coworkers and they're starting to get back into relationships and I see them doing this all or nothing kind of approach, right? The one guy actually told me that he doesn't want to date somebody unless he feels like it's worth putting all his eggs in that basket. And I'm trying to kind of reason with him and he's younger than me and I can see it's not that I don't want him to be happy, but it's like, dude, be careful when you're going down that kind of road, because if you're dumping everything you got into this, if anything goes wrong, you're done. And I know because I've been that guy. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people need to hear that people need to be warned. And I'm sure, you know, your parents, my parents have probably all told us, you know, don't go fall on head over heels for somebody or completely depending on somebody. You should, as cliche as it is, kind of love yourself and feel whole by yourself before you start jumping into relationships and being completely dependent on one person because once again if that person's gone what are you left with absolutely yeah i had to feel comfortable being single and not needing someone else before i was able to like get into a relationship where i was like this is awesome you know and not feel anxiety about it it's just like a much better way to start things off too uh it's much better energy it doesn't mean that you're dismissing the other person or blowing them off i spent a lot of time with my boyfriend but if when we go out of town it's not the end of the world I'm not having a meltdown I'm not texting him every five minutes where are you what are you doing you know like that kind of behavior so I think that's that's a really important part of health is like relationship health too and um so with Crohn's disease after I had those things sort of squared away you know we I tried various different things and I just kind of uh, you know puttered along until I got stem, well, I got very sick, got very sick over the summer of 2020. And I had to have an emergency surgery because I was, had like a life-threatening infection that, and was about to go septic. And so I had emergency surgery and it, it was awful. They cut a two inch hole into me and didn't stitch it up, left it to drain. And uh, my boyfriend had to pack me with gauze, like an inch deep, uh, several times a day until the till the wound closed up on its own. And it took about six weeks. So that was a really like aggressive, insane, intense moment in life. And I, I definitely had to take a couple of weeks off of doing anything at that point. So I probably had pushed myself too far at that point, you know learning lesson, but it did actually give me a little bit of a chance to recover as crazy as that sounds, because now I had, you know, like the sickness out of my body, they drained of the massive infection. It was really crazy. And things sort of reset naturally on their own after that, which is pretty wild. I was forced to rest. I reset a little bit. And a couple of months later, I got stem cell therapy. And that was a huge game changer before I changed diet or anything else. Like I had started to feel a little bit ill again. I got stem cell therapy and that really like allowed my body to continue to regenerate and heal. Um, A couple of months after that, I started to get sick again, nowhere near the level that I had been sick before. So that was nice, right? So now the paradigm has shifted at this point in my life. When I say I'm starting to get sick, it doesn't mean that I'm going to have to go into the hospital or that, yeah, you know, I'm in the crippling pain because this used to cripple me. I used to have partial paralysis in the morning from the, from the uh, pain from Crohn's disease and the horrible muscle spasms. So at this point, uh, I did a, a dramatic diet change, which was I went from being um, a, a very, very strict vegan for 15 years to carnivore diet. And um, I got to tell you, within 
two weeks, the change was so, it was so, I don't know, mind blowing. It was like night and day that I was like, okay, I'm going to have to stick with this until, until I'm completely recovered, at least for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's been really challenging, but the rewards, the results have been really worth it. Right. So that was um, late 2020, if I'm following you correctly. Yep. Yep. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving of 2020. So I announced my chair race for the National Libertarian Party. I decided I was going to run for the national chair position Mm -hmm. in October after I'd had stem cell therapy. And after I could tell, like, I'm going to be well enough to do this because that was like a big part of it. You know, something that I had considered four years ago. And it was like, yeah, but the reality is, Angela, it's not appropriate to do that if you're not going to be well enough to do the job. Mm -hmm. So after I got stem cell therapy, I was like, okay, now this is a game changer. I can do it. And once it started to slip a little bit, I was like, you better make sure you you can't be going into remission or having any of these kind of issues. So I went on, I went on the carnivore diet and that was completely life-changing. Wow. I'll tell you, I do really miss eating cookies um, and I don't plan to do this my whole life, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, um, I just did a podcast on tips on weight loss, and I kind of dived into my story a little bit, and I was about 250 pounds. Right now, I'm a little bit heavier than I normally am just because my goals have changed. I'm trying to put on as much lean mass as possible, but I did the carnivore diet for about two years, and Mm -hmm. I have a faster-than-average kind of metabolism, so the problem with the carnivore diet for me, I lost a ton of weight. I went from 225 down to my very leanest, about 180, and I floated around Mm -hmm. 190. And, um, as a guy who works out, you know, five to seven days a week and, you know, takes his dogs for a walk every single morning and, you know, works a very active job as a mechanic, lifting up 80 pound wheels and tires, stuff like that all day, every day, um, 1800 to 2,400 calories a day for me was just not enough. And what I found is that I'd be good for a week or two. And then, you know, on the weekend, my fiance and I would go out and I would just binge and I never quite came to understand that I just wasn't eating enough. So um, now I've kind of reintroduced a lot of safer carbohydrates. Um, I like some of the less sweet fruits. I also like some sweet fruits like peaches, mangoes, oranges. Um, I have a lot of white rice, sweet potatoes. That stuff really sits with me well, but I still eat mostly animal foods for most of my proteins. I have protein bars and some uh, Mm -hmm. different whey powders. But once again, I kind of have to assess what my gut tolerates the best. I'm on a little bit more higher carbohydrates this week, but I found that it doesn't quite sit well in my stomach. So, um, you know, just kind of just as necessary and, um, yeah. So where did you kind of hear about the carnivore diet and, you know, what was the inspiration? Because that's a dramatic change to go from a vegan diet to a carnivore diet. Yeah. And this, I just want, I want to take this moment to trigger everyone listening. <laughs> everyone. Do it, do it. I'll probably go back to being vegan at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Die mad. Get upset. Um, so, right. So how did I hear about it? So I was following, you know, like I'm a huge Jordan Peterson fan mm-hmm. and I also am a big uh, Michaela Peterson fan too. And she had, you know, she did the carnivore diet to recover from severe autoimmune illness. Mm-hmm. And so I followed that and I watched it, you know, and a few years ago, it seemed insane, uh, insane, nonsensical against everything I'd ever read, but I was like, well, it's still worth following and seeing how it turns out for her because even though I'm you know like I live a very um what's the right way to say I don't like to say extreme we'll go ahead and say extreme 
I, I live a very extreme life in my principles. Like I'm very libertarian, very vegan, very this, very that. There's not really a lot of in the middle for me. And I'm fine with that. That's really just kind of the person I am. But I'm also a very open-minded person. I think maybe Jonathan Haidt would say I'm a, I have a low disgust factor. So I don't get grossed out or offended easily. Uh, even like my morals and principles, I might see something I don't like, but it doesn't like derail my day. So I, I'm able to follow along and watch what Michaela Peterson's doing and be interested without being necessarily convinced or, or offended by it. And I got to the point where you know, after all these years of trying everything, making a huge progress with stem cell therapy and, you know, huge progress after the emergency surgery, you know, I looked at the, at the thought of getting sick again and losing everything I'd, I'd gained. And I thought like, like, why not? You've got one thing left that you haven't tried. One thing left. Why don't you try it? I tried it when I boyfriend was out of town so no one would know right <laughs> and I was like I had to get really high in order to choke the food down because it's just genuinely disgusting to me mm -hmm. and I'm sure any, everyone can relate to that there's one or two foods that you find disgusting right mm -hmm. so imagine having to eat nothing but that you, you're going to need some help so I had to get really high to eat to choke down like a can of tuna you know I, I literally shut the cats out of the room it was like literally no one look at me it was it was it was a little <laughs> bit traumatic it was actually a lot traumatic but uh, you, you do what you got to do to survive. Right. Mm -hmm. And within a week, like all of a sudden, my intestinal bleeding has stopped because then started up a little bit again. Intestinal bleeding has stopped. I've gained weight. I had gained weight. I was so thin. Uh, I don't weigh myself because it makes me neurotic. Um, uh, if I worry, I think I gained too much or if I don't weigh enough, like I, whatever the goal is, I'm going to be upset about it. Mm -hmm. So I don't weigh myself. I don't have a scale in the house. But I noticed that all of a sudden I couldn't wear my double zero pants anymore. And double zero, it's like one of the smallest sizes that exists. Like they were yeah. falling off me. I was like a skeleton. I was a right. blonde ghoul. And uh, I just kept gaining weight and gaining weight and gaining weight. And I probably gained 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. I'm still really thin. So you can imagine what, what I would look like with 20 less pounds on me. Um, but that was really it for me. Like my body was just starving. I couldn't absorb any nutrients, nothing, no calories. Like everything just went right through me. Mm -hmm. And, and I was bleeding and constantly anemic. So anemic, you know, my muscles practically atrophied. I had trouble getting up and down off the floor. Like if I want to scoop in a dustpan, something off the kitchen floor, I would have to grab onto the counter and pull myself up. So to see all of that start to turn around within a week, that blew my mind. So whatever I was doing, I was like, we're going to stick with this and we'll find a way to, you know, adjust to it emotionally and, you know, make peace with God or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been an incredible journey back to reclaiming my health and, and I owe a huge part of it to diet, a huge part. Right. And I definitely feel the same way. Um, I don't want this to turn into a debate, but I'm sincerely curious. Um, why would you want to go back to veganism after having, I don't want to say revelation, but um, after experiencing so much benefit from carnivore? I'm just sincerely curious. Yeah. So I think that the reason that I got sick initially was not dietary related. I mm -hmm. think that it was stress related. Okay. And I'm a big proponent of German new medicine. 
So um, in a nutshell, I don't believe that germs work the way we think they work. Uh, that's the that's the easiest way to describe that. And I would in encourage everyone to go look up German new medicine and look sure. it up on DuckDuckGo, not on Google, not on Google. Um, but I got uh, very triggered over a series of personal issues that happened in my life that are sure. completely resolved now. But I believe that your body gets sort of stuck in a in a cyclical crisis mode, and it keep it continues to think that you're under fight or flight stress when you mm -hmm. force it to be under fight or flight stress over and over again. And whatever's going on in your life when that happens, that will frequently um, be a trigger for it. And my diet was a trigger for it. And, and so me eating, continuing to eat the way that I did, continuing to engage in old patterns, continuing to live in the house that I lived in was all making me ill. And I could not break out of that until I changed it dramatically. Mm -hmm. And then I was really caught in a perfect storm because I couldn't eat fiber. My insides were so destroyed. Like I, I had one of the times that I went to the hospital when they took, um, I had like I had every oscopy you can imagine, the endoscopy, the capsule endoscopy, colonoscopy, exploratory surgery. The images that they took of my colon, it was so ulcerated that you couldn't actually count them. There might've been a hundred ulcers just in my descending colon. It, it, was, it was madness. So I couldn't eat anything with fiber in it. It would just rip right through me. Uh, it wouldn't matter whether or not I had a histamine reaction or allergy or whatever, or, or how healthy or healing that food is supposed to be, a superfood mm -hmm. with all these nutrients. Fiber would just, it was just terrible. Um, but that's not the case anymore. My insides are still sensitive, but they're not so ulcerated. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that once I'm totally healed up, that I'm going to be able to eat a lot more foods and, and eventually go back to, to eating the way that I was eating. Although I will tell you, I will never, never eat processed vegetable oil again in my life. Never. I think that it's, I think it's a terrible, terrible thing to put in your body. It's, uh, it's not meant to be consumed by humans. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be consumed by any living thing. It's yep. basically like an industrial waste product mm -hmm. and it's highly inflammatory. And for those of you listening, uh, who have very high you know, stress tolerance and you're very happy-go-lucky, you know, case raw, maybe this isn't an issue for you, but for people who are very high stress and, and they get stressed out easily and it affects their health, stay away from vegetable oil because it is so inflammatory, so damaging. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, I'm sure you probably learned some of that from like Nina Teichel's where they explained the history of vegetable oil. I think it was back in the early 1900s, around 1920. Um, they basically tried to tell um, everybody, hey, lard and butter are your grandmother's oils. Yeah. So let's use these industrial seed oils that are literally meant for lubricating machines yeah. and use that instead. And if you pick up a wrapper in a lot of foods, the third or fourth ingredient on almost everything is soybean oil, canola yep. oil, you name the oil, it's that. So, um, you know, if you have a sensitivity to these kind of things, don't go to fast food restaurants because I promise you everything is cooked in that stuff yep. and pick up the wrapper on absolutely everything. It would blow your freaking mind. Coffee creamer has soybean oil in it. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It's, it's in literally everything. And I didn't know this until I started dating my fiance who um, has celiacs. If she has anything with gluten in it, I mean, she's borderline bedridden for like a yep. day at minimum. So yep. I, I had this. celiac yeah. too. It's, it's awful. It's awful. Right. And you got to look for everything because once again, same deal with gluten and vegetable oil. That stuff is in freaking 
everything. And for some people, that will freaking wipe you out. I'm, and I'm very thankful that I don't have any kind of issues like that. It's just some certain fibers kind of sit um, poorly in my gut, but other than that, I'm pretty good. But yeah, um, vegetable oils and grains for a lot of people can just really rake them over the coals. And I feel like some of the health gurus and some of the, you know, strictly calories in, calories out, bodybuilder kind of guys, they really gloss over food sensitivities. And I'm more so of that community in a way, but at the same time, I recognize that there are some foods for some people that you just cannot freaking eat. So when I hear people pumping, oh, you got to have you know, 152 grams of fiber a day. I'm like, man, for some people, you would be bedridden. Like back before I did the carnivore diet, if I had a whole ton of fiber, I would get the swelling pain in my gut for hours on yeah. end. And it's absolutely horrid. So now I've kind of reintroduced some of that stuff. I can handle it better. But, you know, there are still are some certain foods that I eat. And I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck did I do? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll probably never go back to eating cruciferous vegetables. Those have always been really hard on my insides. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I'm going to be able to eat those. Um, I would really like to go back to eating beans and lentils. Mm -hmm. We'll see. I think that's, I think that's years away for me. I don't think I'm there yet. Um, so a diet for me, maybe, uh, maybe I can share what that looks like. Sure. The only, the, the only non-animal food I can eat is dates. I can eat a whole lot of dates uh, that started doing that maybe Maybe six months ago, I started being able to eat dates. Dates do have fiber and they have sugar in them, but they are really gentle on my insides. And I have no issue with that. Right. Other than that, I eat mostly raw meat. Uh, I mean, red meat that's partially raw. I eat I eat a lot of rare food. I do eat raw meat sometimes in hotel rooms. I travel a lot. There's no cooking. There's a little fridge. I can eat raw meat. It's, it's easier to digest. Um, it doesn't have acrylamides in it which are those delicious little burned bits. Yep. And, and occasionally if I have too much of that, it'll kind of upset my insides. So uh, I eat that. Sometimes I can eat chicken, no pork. Pork, uh, pork is inflammatory for me personally, so I can't eat it. I can have a little bit of butter. I can have a little bit of aged cheese or goat cheese. Not a lot though. We're talking about half a slice, a little sprinkle, a scoop. I can have... Some raw milk, but a lot of, if I have too much of that, it's uh, probiotics that are too intense on my insides right now. And I can have some A2 milk or goat's milk. Regular milk does not, does not feel good on the, on the body though. Wow. Yeah. I, I've seen plenty of people kind of have to go down this route. And like I said, it, it's, I kind of get frustrated with the health community at large when they want to dismiss out of hand the carnivore diet or elimination diets yeah. and say, oh, you know, this is crazy. You know, what about fiber? What about this? What about that? Well, why don't we kind of hear these people out like you, like Michaela Peterson, who are having these crazy issues and maybe a one-off thing, but, you know, we're also in a completely different time than our ancestors from thousands of years ago who, you know, were eating a lot less processed food. Well, now we're kind of seeing the results of eating these hyper-processed yeah. foods for the last, you know, two, 300 years. And, you know, maybe we need to hear people out and say, okay, well, maybe a little bit more of an ancestral diet can be more appropriate for some people. So maybe we should research this and maybe saturated fat isn't the problem. Maybe it's the saturated fat with the processed seed oils, with the, uh, right. you know, processed carbohydrates, because these foods are just so easy to overconsume. Um, you know, you hear people say, oh, I can't tolerate this or that, but then, you know, they down a whole bunch of it. Well, 
you know, I, I think for a lot of people, it would probably do them pretty good to do something like a ketogenic or a carnivore diet, something that eliminates all the processed food, and then kind yep. of assessing what you can reintroduce from there, just because you don't know what you can't tolerate. You don't know how good you can feel until you kind of heal the ailments. Like you hear people say all the time, oh man, I'm achy, I hurt. And I was one of these people when I was 250 pounds. And then all of a sudden I went on the carnivore diet. I lost a ton of weight and I was only eating, you know, beef, bacon, eggs, salt. And um, I felt so much freaking better. And I think a lot of people discount just how much diet plays in your everyday life and how much it oh, actually yeah. affects your overall health and even mental health. Yeah. So, so I look around me and I see my, my friends who are on specialty diets. I see a variety of different outcomes. But one thing that seems to be pretty common as far as people who are trying to diet either for their health, like a condition like mine, or to lose weight. One thing that seems to be common is that people who consume processed oils struggle. And so another reason that I'm like, oh, you know, like I could go back to being vegan in the future, but I have to do it a different way. I have friends who are on the medical medium diet. I don't know if you've heard of medical medium. He is an interesting guy. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we call him um, medical ghost, whatever, dude, you know, like, he'd like, I don't know. I don't know, man. He says he talks to spirits or whatever and has medical intuition. This is but people who go on his, Yeah. <laughs> But people who go on his diet, which is a vegan, mostly raw foods diet with no vegetable oil or anything bad like that, they do recover and they get better. And, and the results that I've seen are amazing. Uh, but what does he have in common with carnivore diet guy? No vegetable oil. Neither of them. Dramatically different diets. And they would both point at fingers at each other and say, no, you're wrong. You're killing people. But they do have some things in common, which is no processed food. And, and so I think that that's like the biggest takeaway for me is like, stay away, whatever I do with my diet in the future, I have to stay away from processed food. And for me, that also includes um, highly processed grains and breads, things like that. Uh, you know, I hope one day I can go back to eating like a bowl of rice, you know, gluten-free bread that doesn't have a 10 mile long list of ingredients. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It's, um, it's so surprising to me that people will, like I said, just kind of dish on these diets, but you know, I, I don't think people really consider the health outcomes. And for some people, these things are fantastic, but for some people they're not, but you know, mm -hmm. we really should kind of hear people out. And I'm glad that someone like Sean Baker is doing his carnivore diet study yeah. and they're finding, you know, more and more people actually see a lot of benefits from it. And, you know, maybe the mainstream medical or diet advice that we've been told of having 26 servings of grains and, you know, every single vegetable out there, you know, maybe for some people, it's just not good for them. And maybe yeah. we've truly led our population astray. And, you know, I think it's definitely true over the last two years, we've seen that our public health establishment is an absolute freaking joke. Absolutely. Yeah, it's well. And so much of it is government propaganda too, like the food guide pyramid. Mm -hmm. And and there are so many recommendations that are tied to farm subsidies too. People need right. to be mindful of that. You know, like my, um, what would I say? My friends who are vegan because all the rest of their friends do it or because strictly because it's about animals, not because it's about health. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have health issues. A lot of them have health issues and they eat very carb heavy, oil heavy diets. You know, you could be vegan and eat nothing but vegan brownies and ice cream all day. All and there right. are certainly some people that do that. And by the same token, you know, there are people who are on the carnivore diet and they eat like 
weird stuff too and you know like a lot of dairy and i don't think that that's a good choice either i think pasteurized dairy is not very healthy no yeah for some people it's definitely going to be a little bit rough on the gut i know if i have a little bit too much whipping cream and butter then i definitely don't feel that good for probably like the rest of the day um so kind of wrapping up here i usually ask my guests two questions angela what does health look like to you health to me it's it's deeply personal it looks like being able to get out of bed in the morning and not be tied to the bathroom or you know stuck in bed i guess from pain it looks like being able to go out and go to work you know and go on a walk go 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 walk on the beach being able to lift weights not feeling constrained by illness when you're just trying to go about your daily life and not thinking about it all the time either. Like it also means, you know, being free mentally from sickness and and not being overwhelmed by stress. That's kind of what health looks like to me. Nice. Yeah, I think that's a very um, holistic view of health. Um, the other question would be, what does liberty look like to you? <laughs> I think that the two are, for me, the two are intimately connected. Mm-hmm. You know, liberty liberty means being able to go out and live your life however you want so long as you're not hurting someone else i gotta tell you one of the reasons that i'm so fired up and passionate about ending vaccine mandates and and making sure that lockdowns never come back is because by the time that i was finally healed and able to like really enjoy my life and not have to worry about being home you know because i'm sick everything i love is just destroyed in la shut down gone or i'm disinvited and, and so I really connect to Liberty with, with health. You know, they're, they're both, I think, very tight, tied together. They're, they're really about being able, to, be, being able to go out and live your best life. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's, it's very unfortunate that you had to go through that. You're a freaking warrior. I, I, I've told you before, but, you know, I look at you in the same light as I do Larry Sharp, Dave Smith, all of them. You're an absolute freaking warrior for Liberty. Um, you're one of the best, you know, head and shoulders that we got around here in this movement. Um, you speak the truth. You speak very well. And, um, you know, I think you're a fantastic person. You have fantastic taste in music and you're very reasonable and objective about everything that's kind of going on and your own health. So, you know, I really appreciate you coming on and I'm glad that you're able to do this. My brother <laughs> wanted to make sure I told you, um, he absolutely loved your performance in the debate. And he said, you're a real badass, and he absolutely, uh, you know, adores you. So, um, you know, both him and I feel the same way. I'm absolutely ecstatic that we got the chance to do this. Well, thank you to you both. And thank you for hosting my um, coming out as carnivore diet uh, uh, story. That's you. You're you're the first to get the full scoop. <laughs> well, yeah, I, not a lot of the uh, libertarian people get to tell their stories about health. Spike Cohen told his story on this podcast. And then a lot of not a lot of the uh, health guys get to rant rave about their views on political things. I just had Rob Wolf and Rob Goodwin on. Um, last week to talk about the COVID regime. And it seems like both camps kind of want to be able to speak out about these things, but there's not a lot of mediums for them to do that. So I'm glad that I've been able to do that. Um, Angela, where can everybody find you and what do you got going on? Cool. You can find me at AngelaMcArdle.com. If you're interested in following the work we do on the LA uh, anti-mandate initiative, the the initiative to repeal LA's vaccine mandate, you can go to medicalfreedomla.com. And we're also on Instagram. And if you're interested in supporting the work I do and helping me travel to different speaking 
engagements and I will have uh, I will be speaking on something uh, regarding health and medical freedom actually this summer nice. you can go to patreon.com forward slash Angela McArdle nice awesome um what conventions are you going to be going to here in the next couple of weeks are you going to be here in Pennsylvania I will be at Florida Pennsylvania Maryland West Virginia uh something else Freedom Fest, probably Pork uh, Fest, and Reno. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to uh, get to meet you in Williamsport here in about, yeah, literally a week. I can't believe it's a fucking week away. My God. Um, I know. It's going to be a good time, and I'm very excited to hear all the reading. Um, that's going to be one of my favorite parts about the convention. There's a yeah. lot to be had. Um, I'm sure you and I both will get called Nazis, racist, white supremacists who want to uh, take over the party by the LP Defense Fund, if you've seen that. I'm also a misogynist. Don't forget, I'm a misogynist. <laughs> Don't worry, me too. All right, Angela, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I would love to have you back on anytime you got anything to say in health realm or just anytime in general. Um, I got an idea for a few upcoming shows and, um, you know, we'll be in touch. And I hope, um, you know, this was uh, as much fun for you as it was for me. Great. Thanks. Let's do it again. Awesome. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.